Podcast with Victor Pacheco. Okay. Hello and welcome to Poppycock Podcast with your host, Victor Pacheco. We got a really great show for y'all today with one of my good friends that I know from the Bay Area. You know him from Comedy Central, BET, NBC, Dry Bar Comedy. Uh, my friend, Dennis Gexiola. What's up, Big Poppy? Hey, what's up, Big Poppy? How you doing, brother? Man, I'm doing good, bro. Miss you, but I'm proud of you, bro. Miss, I miss you too, man. Thank you, dude. I really, really appreciate you being proud of me, man. Like, you know, people like you give me reason to shoot for the stars, man. Like, because even from the beginning, like, you know, I, I've known, I known Dennis since Que Locos and I didn't start comedy since 2012. What year was Que Locos? Jeez, Lord, that's great. Que <laughs> <laughs> um, Locos, jeez, that was late 90s. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't this century, put it that way, <laughs> <laughs> or millennia. But um, yeah. no, that's that's crazy because it's just like where I was just like, oh man, that's that's pretty cool. It's like I I wonder if I'm ever gonna meet any of these like superstar Latino comics, and I'm like, oh cool, one of them's from the Bay. Uh, you're from Berkeley, correct? Yeah, grew up and born and raised in Berkeley. Nice. So we got a Bay Area native. That's awesome. Uh, I want to just wish you uh, congratulations or say congratulations for your latest album, your latest special on dry bar comedy, uh, Bible school dropout, which is one heck of a name. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Dennis is a clean Christian comedian with cojones bigger than me to have a dirty foul mouth guy like me open up for him. Uh, which is cool because a lot of Christian comics are like, Hey, 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 you need to be cool. You need to not use any curse words. But Dennis, on the other hand, was just all like, I ain't worried. It's OK. Say whatever. Say, just be funny. I mean, if, if <laughs> you're going to use the moniker, you know, headliner for a show and you can't follow somebody in front of you, then, you know, go first. <laughs> that's that's what you belong. I know legends, alleged legends that get mad when the guys are too funny in front of them, you know, and. uh <laughs> they, 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 Save me some that type of thing, but uh, no, man. If 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 you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen. That's the way I look at it. Well, yeah, but I mean, also though, too. I mean, there's been instances where there's been dirty comics that need to have their openers be super clean so they could be the first person to say the f word. And so yeah. I'm just like, okay, like I, I don't want to name names, but I mean, there's somebody who's like a really foul mouthed comedian that needs to have their feature and their host be super clean. And it's just like for me. It's like I'm not a clean comic. So when um, actually well, that's, like, that's like Latino comics or black comics that don't want anybody else of their ethnicity on the show, because so I guess, you know, if it's a dirty comic, they don't want anybody taking away the shock value, you know, because if uh, <laughs> I mean, you have some you have hilarious comedy that happens to be adult nature. Yeah, it's not <laughs> adult nature. And you go there, you know, but there's some guys that they're it's it's the shock value that's all they have it's really not funny it's a shock value well you well yeah that's what i that's what i um i've come to learn because i i realized i don't know what before i started stand-up i thought everything was like uh daniel tosh tosh boy no be edgy for the sake of being edgy it doesn't even matter if, it, if it's if it's factual or based in reality it's but then then i realized throughout the years certain people can make certain jokes that other people can't make and yeah, so it's i i learned uh from Carlos Mencia, I learned that no matter what you're doing, as long as you're doing it with conviction and passion, it's funny. 
So you could be going, oh, my God, I can't believe he said that. But he said it with so much conviction and passion, it takes away the inhibitions of the audience to go ahead and laugh with him. You know, so I uh, think that the audience control thing, people call it a Jedi mind trick. You know, I call it a manipulation of the energy in the room. And so if you get everybody breathing on the same wavelength as you, you won. Yep. Like literally, like while you're speaking, if you go boom, everyone should go (gasps) like, you know, that's how in in an ideal stand up comedy setting. So I don't know. This is something I've talked about on other podcasts. I don't really like talking about my podcast because I like showcasing the other comedians on there. But like there's a story We, we did a show last year. Because uh, uh, you talk about mind tricks, you notice how I stopped the cloud. <laughs> look at the clouds behind me. I asked them, <laughs> yeah. uh, and look, they worked. <laughs> I just got back from Hawaii, and that's my picture from the resort. So, oh, <laughs> that's beautiful, man. I thought that was like stock footage. That, that's actually your photo from yeah, yesterday morning traveling so, through stand up. That's awesome, man, because it's just like everyone's like, oh, that's so great. Dennis, he's out. He's traveling the country. And I'm just like, he's working. He's working. And sometimes he has a great view and sometimes he doesn't. But either way, it's like you're still on top of your game. And, you know, um, I don't know how to how to spend your time wisely instead of just being caught up just in your hotel room the whole time. Uh, Do you have any tips for comedians on the road? You know, um, enjoy the moment. You know, that, that's what I always tell people. Enjoy the moment because there's going to become a time where um, the new generation comes behind you and the hot comic. And now today, in today's stand-up comedy world where it's not even stand-up comedy, it's whoever has the most um, followers on social media. They could be horrible in stand-up comedy, have no chops, but they pack out a club. And the cl- a comedy club is nothing but an excuse to sell alcohol. So <laughs> and overpriced hot wings. Yeah, you know, they don't care if you're funny. Did the club sell out and they got 200 people there and everybody had to buy two drinks? That was a good night for the club. Yeah, excellent night and horrible yeah. horrible night for the openers. Uh but um yeah. no, it's just like yeah, people are I don't know. It's so it's like you need to be validated from these comedy clubs on one hand. On the other hand, these comedy clubs need the comedians. So it's just like I don't know, this double-edged sword where it's just like yeah. I, I I don't know, it's just it's, it's hard for me to go out on a limb and just like, I, I don't know. But do um, the math for the road comics. Here, here's my real advice. Do the math. Yeah. But go aside and do the math. There's a point in your career where you need as much stage time as possible. But if they're paying you $250 to drive 200 miles, but that's 400 round trip, do the math. You are now literally paying to perform. Yeah. And it's even more um, it's even more apparent here in Los Angeles where people actually charge five dollars for five minutes of stage time. I've actually alienated myself with some open mic comedians because of my stance about paying to be a comedian. That's so it's ridiculous. I'd rather not do it. I'd rather not do it. I'd rather not do it. I'd rather do an Instagram live where I'm being silly from the comfort of my home with nobody watching than pay money to pretend to be a comedian. But I mean, like, but also though too, like, you know, with these, like, um, for example, like when I was living in the Bay, I would have to travel outside of the Bay to get headliner gigs like in Modesto or in Santa Rosa, Ronard Park, Ukiah, um, 
uh, San Luis Obispo. Like I would have to go like way out of my way to, you know, do, to get a headliner set because, you know, nobody's giving me 40 minutes. Nobody's giving me, I mean, like a headliner set in the Bay area or even here in LA is like a 20, 25 minute spot. That's right. not a headliner spot. That's a closer spot. You're going last. That's like barely a feature, you know, in some clubs, it's like, you have to be able to do a, a minimum of 45 minutes as the feature have, uh, in the event that, you know, the, the headliner wants to do a two person show, you know, I've been called in to be the host when the host slash feature couldn't do the 45 minutes. So I have gotten that from there. So I, I just want to know, uh, because I recently, um, like two or three weeks ago, did my first 60 minute headliner set in Anaheim, California at a brewing company. And I was wondering what makes an authentic headliner set. Um, a head, the title headliner used to be the guy that actually drew people to the spot. But there's a difference between a headliner and a headliner set. A headliner set, if you're being paid to do 45 to an hour and you get there and say you have a whole routine about politics and you get there and the club goes, yeah, no politics. Um, wow, you just lost half your set. Now, can you still cover it? You know, so... To be a true headliner, because you're paid to be an artist. There's times you're paid to be an artist and there's times you're paid to be an entertainer. When you're paid to be an entertainer, you do what the payer says. When, you, when it's an artist, like when you're shooting your special or building up to shoot your special, you do what you want. But if you, you know, um, if that those are the only times you could ever just say, you know what? No, this is my show. I'm doing it my way. But if you're paid to be an entertainer, you do it because you want to get paid. Do what they say. Right. So you uh, got to be sell out to be an entertainer. <laughs> uh, so like the, the story I was going towards that, you, that, that, that we went on a tangent about earlier. I tell the story all the time. We did a Latin All-Star show in, 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 in Ronard Park at Sally Tomatoes. At a, at a, at the, at the, I was going second to last. I wasn't really featuring. You were headlining. I was just going before you. So I'm not going to, like, you know, trivialize the whole situation by saying I featured. I went second to last, and you headlined. And I got off stage, and I felt really good about myself, really good. And then you went up there, and you, like, smurted it, like, so hard that I was just – I had to reevaluate what a kill was because I felt I killed – but then I got off stage and had to reevaluate it because I was like, no, 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 no. That's how you kill. That's how you kill because he's getting applause breaks. People are hooting and hollering and stuff. And like what I thought was great was was great for me. But for the show, like it was just like, OK, that's what a real headliner does. And so like to make a headliner set, are you thinking this is what I'm going to do for the new sick for the new 45 to an hour? Or is this like, are you doing it in chunks or in bits or like what, what's your comedy writing process to to make an hour, to make an authentic headliner set? Well, at that time. Um, so I remember that night very clear because <laughs> I told Vic a story, a personal story that's now on my new dry bar special. Um, but I had never done it on stage. Matter of fact, very few relatives even knew about this health scare where I thought I had breast cancer. Yes, men could get breast cancer. And um, all you said was you were handed comedy gold and you're not talking about it. So I went on stage and opened with that story and got an applause break. And now it's on my new special. So I start polishing up because I already knew I wanted to do a new special with Drybar. Um, so I start formatting. So it was one joke about 
uh, you know, landed in the hospital because I thought it had a heart attack and it wasn't, you know. And then another incident where um, I choked on an airplane and the very flamboyant flight attendant came running. He's like, oh, my God, he's choking on peanuts. And it sounded like he said peanuts instead of peanuts. And I said, <laughs> uh, so I had three very funny stories that were nowhere near death, yet I made, I, I call them near death scares. But um, that night was one of the first live shows after the pandemic had hit. And I remember um, it was going so well that I got teary-eyed like 15 minutes into the set. Literally, and the people saw me. The people up front saw that my eyes watered up, but I had missed it so much. And then to have that, you know, that love from the audience and enjoying seeing people laugh. So, I mean, you crushed it. You, I mean, you had me cracking up as I'm trying to get ready for it, for the show. So the guy that closes rides the guy right in front of him. You know, uh, you ride the wave that that guy creates. And you made my job really easy that night. Thank you. No, it was just like one of those things, too, because I was trying to get into the zone and you're like, hey, Vic, what do you think about this story right here? And I was just like, you need to put something about OCD in there. Then you came back in. You came back the next day. I know you did it that night. It worked. But then the next day you're like, hey, I'm going to say it's my cousin because my wife doesn't have OCD. And I don't feel like that's 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 very true to me as an artist. I'm like, Gax, I do whatever you need to do. You're the man. I, I was just saying, like, you know, with the O's, I don't want to ruin anything because I don't want to ruin. I don't want to burn any material right here on the pod unless you burn it yourself. But, no, uh, but <laughs> you pointed out the OCD and I was like, I don't want to bring her into the joke. But that's one of the biggest punchlines now, because my wife, God bless her, she has a little bit of OCD. I mean, during the Super Bowl, she got up live, not at halftime, during the game and dusted behind the TV. So, yeah, that's OCD. So I. <laughs> Now, uh, I had one lump and uh, the doctor, which freaked her out because everything needs to match, you know, and uh, with OCD. So, no, nah, bro, you you brought I had I lived the scary part. and You brought the humor, the humor out in that joke. Oh, my God. Yeah, because you were like freaking out and tell it. And I was like, whoa, you didn't tell anybody. People usually go on, on social media. They're like, lowest me. I was just, you know, I have this terrible scare. Please pray. Gax is like, okay, I don't want this out there at all. I don't, I don't want nobody knowing. And I respect that. But I was like, really? I got, Bro. Big, I wonder if I have any type of tumors in my boobs, you know, now I'm scared no, you know, like, because of you, you know, but luckily my, my boobs are symmetrical. They might be big, but they're symmetrical. Because, you know, our people, bro, whatever's whatever's wrong with us, that's our nickname. I don't want to become known as Chi, not Chi Chi, just Chi. He's Chi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, you mean Cheech. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that name's already taken. Oh, so, it is. Yeah, it was just me, Chi. Uh, thank yeah. God. It wasn't anything. It was a bad reaction <laughs> to blood pressure medicine that I never got warning on. But it went, it went away, so... I'm back to normal. <laughs> oh my God. You didn't get a warning about one growing one breast, not two, one. Okay. Yeah. Either way, like it would just be like, I don't know. I think a hundred percent of men, if they would know that that was a side effect, I think they'd rather die. I mean, yeah. to be honest with you, because just the so, way that like, you know, beauty standards are, and you know, it's just so, like, so I, I didn't even notice until you said something. Well, it was, a you know, I'm in the shower <laughs> scrubbing down. I noticed like tenderness on the right side of my chest. I'm like, Whoa, and my wife, she's she's had cancer five times. So I told her, and she's like, "You immediately need to get examined." And so now that really every freaky thought's going through my head that, "Oh man," 
And uh, it ended up being uh, just a bad reaction to medicine. <laughs> That's the scariest thing I've ever. I mean, I only was able to be like, hey, this is comedy gold after you were in the clear, after yeah. you figured out what caused it. So I hope people at home don't think that I'm just some type of sadistic jerk. No, just... the first person I told, I only told like my mom's young. My mom was the oldest of nine. So you know, Latino families, you're as old as your uncles and aunts. And the uncle, my uncle that's like a little bit older than me, when I told it to him, he started clowning me. And I had to threat. <laughs> <laughs> so I sat on that health scare for like six months to a year. I just sat on it like, man. I mean, I knew I was okay, but to take it to the stage, I never took it. And then you, um, <laughs> you encouraged me like, dude, you were handed comedy gold. And uh, so, I mean, but it's so for the record, like as far as like, okay, we go, I don't know, not, not every single comic, but I know a lot of comics that go out of their way to like have really, really like personal conflicting, I don't know, conflict with people just so they can like make material. You didn't do anything, but like try to stay healthy take medication to stay healthy. And then this was an adverse reaction. So I was just like, dude, you're alive. You're healthy. You know, even if you're talking about it, that causes awareness. People are going to be on your side. And not only that, like people are going to like, you know, it's, you're putting yourself out there in a really vulnerable type of situation that people love. You can't make yeah. this stuff up. And so like, you know, for you to have been able to say that in front of a whole group of people, whether you got emotional, whether you're whether you're sharing personal information or if it was your first time back at it at a live show uh, or, or a combination of both. I mean, every time we go on stage, we're super vulnerable when we tell people personal stories about our experiences. Hopefully they they relate. Uh, they resonate with people and they're relatable. But, you know, oftentimes it's just like. Well, good. Well, I didn't know so many people felt that way. I was hoping people felt that way. I just didn't know how many people felt that way. But, but what's cool, like, because the new special, they drive our releases clips to drive you to the special. So they yeah. re the three death scares and, and they titled it, how many death scares have you had? So they're just showing this little clip off my special. And the one in the hospital where I thought I had a heart attack. Um, it was gas, by the way. Um, it was you know, <laughs> uh, when the, the little nurse and I, I was worried about this true story, but people are so sensitive nowadays <laughs> where the, the little Filipino nurse said, we're admitting you to the carjack unit. In my mind, I was like, I didn't get carjacked, but it was, hard, <laughs> you know, so uh, cardiac, cardiac, yeah, ah! cardiac, so, cardiac. Yeah. And so in the bit, I'm like, ma'am, I did not get carjacked. I had, I, um, I came in with chest pains and she's like, sir, you're going to the carjack unit. And uh, <laughs> uh, uh, a lady commented on the joke. She says, as a Filipino, I really, I totally understand how you thought you were going to carjack unit. <laughs> I love people that understand that it's comedy, man. Don't come to a comedy channel and get you and why are you saying all filipinos say it like that no oh my, my god like, you know so i i, I love when <sighs> get the jokes you know that's that's actually a great transition to my next question because like you're a clean comedian and a christian comedian but has woke culture or cancel culture have any impact on your joke writing process no it's inspired me <laughs> how so well, because like my, you know, my daughter, she's a junior in college. And, you know, if you have one daughter and she goes to school, she apparently she's the only person to have ever read a book. <laughs> 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 you 
So, Dad, you're going to get canceled. And when she said that to me, I said, I didn't subscribe. <laughs> That's been my attitude, you know, where I, I just, you know, still staying clean, but, you know, going to the line and letting, like, no, this is dumb. Like, I, I was in the process. I have a direct-to-garment printer, and I ran out of time today. Taking, I, I've been gone for a week. Um, I was took a little break in Hawaii, golfed and goofed off, saw my son, saw my grandson. Um but I, I didn't have time catching up with business today. I have I was making a shirt that says Latino, but the no is big. And then with the X. So like Latino, no X, <laughs> you know, because. Oh, my God, that's brilliant. That's crazy. The, the Latinx whole the whole stupidity of it. It wasn't <laughs> even created by Latinos. It was created by a, a white research group trying to be politically correct. Oh, no. Three percent of Latinos identify with Latinx, yet every La every advertiser out there is saying Latinx. Even, you know, even sports teams, it's Latinx night. So I'm making shirts that go Latin, because we grew up with the word no. Latino. Latino. Yeah. yeah. Latino with the no really big. You know, mom, can I go to the party? No. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, but but then have the X on the side where it's Latino X. <laughs> Latino X. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I don't like that phrase. And you know what? I, I the, the true story to the origins of Latinx, you know, because like I had a made up story. The made up story was that some Chicano, some Me American born Mexican went to college and just figured out how to learn Spanish for the first time and realize that there's masculine words and feminine words and says, that's it. I wasn't hugged enough as a kid, so I want to make a name for myself, and I am going to go out on a limb and say that this is a very sexist language. But, I mean, they didn't go far enough. It's like it's a very sexist culture, very homophobic culture, like, like to the point where, I, I mean, I do comedy in English, I do comedy in Spanish, and there's things that I talk about in Spanish to a Spanish crowd doesn't always resonate into an English crowd with the homophobia. Because, you know, without saying too much, because I've been trying to cl be clean on this one, but pretty much uh, when Mexicans get drunk, their homophobia goes away and their homoeroticism goes up. And so I made a joke about that uh, in Spanish, calling them hypocrites. And every time I've done it, the wife always points to the guy and says, that's you, that's you. That's you. And so it's just like, you know, like, I, I don't know, like with, with our culture, there's like a lot of homophobia or I, I, don't, I don't know how to, how to state or sexism and stuff. And it's just like, I even I don't know. I, I, I refer to women as women, not like any other way of <laughs> talking about women or chicks. Sometimes I say chicks and I've been stopped. Hey, you can't call us chicks. I'm like, oh, my bad. Am I assuming your gender by calling you chicks? Hey, well, even 1980s uh, musical act, Mr. Mister had to change their name to he, them, they, they, them, him. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a hymn in church, too. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you're like, Victor, you're going to help. We're going to say but, uh, they, them, are him, we. Uh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm getting old because I'm at that part where some of it doesn't make sense. Be kind to everybody. You know, so, uh, that's that's the way I look at it. Uh, I've got gay friends, transgender friends. I got friends of every ethnicity and I don't have to identify them by that. Right. You know, my friends, you know, I don't, uh, I don't get this. Like having to identify people. It's just like, you're not like, Oh, Hey, I want to meet up with Victor. He's that fat Mexican guy. It's just Victor. 
or like yeah. I know him from stand up or whatever. Like, you know, however, you know me from where you know me. People know me from teaching. People know me from my, my favorite poppy. Because we, we call each other poppy, but my favorite. We're hyper masculine. We call each other yeah. poppy just to show how yeah. how much we don't care. <laughs> you're Puerto Rican, though. It's different. I'm full Mexican. You're Puerto Rican. When you say poppy, you mean friend. When I say poppy, I mean, what's up, daddy? <laughs> uh, no, but bro, I got my DNA results back, bro. Oh man, making me rethink the whole world, man. That because culturally, phrase Mexican, Mexican, we start saying we're Mexican, Puerto Rican, and we switch off on the holidays. When yeah. holidays, <laughs> Puerto Rican food. I got my DNA results back. One percent Puerto Rican. No, get out of it. What's the rest? Twenty-nine percent Portuguese. Portuguese or Portuguese? Yeah. Get out of here, bro. Jeez. But like 30... I'm Portuguese too. My last name Pacheco is Portuguese. Yeah. Well, unless you're a five foot two Oompa Loompa, <laughs> we got Spanish or Portuguese in us. You know, that's that's just <laughs> that's just I mean, and, and then um, I saw this Oaxacan family talking. And by the way, if you don't know what a Oaxacan is, go watch uh Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And if you see some of the Oompa Loompas walking, <laughs> I think you're gonna say apocalypto. <laughs> yeah, you, and they, uh, I mean, because I'm tall when I'm around Oaxacans. Like, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm point power forward <laughs> with Oaxacans. They're like, I've, five foot two is a center in the Oaxacan basketball league. But <laughs> I was like, man, what kind of Spanish is that? And then my friend was like, idiot. They're not <laughs> Spanish. They're speaking their native language. You know, <laughs> you know. So, uh, uh, yeah, but I remember DNA stood for do not ask. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's 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 accurate, man. Because then people get, you know, like I still know you as the same. You're still Mexican and Puerto Rican in my book. Well, culturally, uh, yep. And my wife's Puerto Rican, so uh, Puerto, well, well, she calls you Poppy for different reasons, and that I call you Poppy. I call you Poppy just to make people awkward around us, you know, like because like <laughs> I swear to God, like that's the. I mean, it's one of my jokes. It's like, what two words can make a Mexican man feel super uncomfortable? Hey, Poppy. And so, it's, <laughs> so it's just like, you know, that's what I learned. I learned that from experience, you know, just and it's it's so great when I get like even some of my like non-Spanish speaking friends, but hey, Poppy to me. And I'm just like, dude, that I'm so happy of, of the amount of people that call me Poppy. And it's like, totally well, you know, like, our, our our brother in comedy who moved to New York, Mario, he does. He used to do a great bit. He's like redoing his whole act now. Um, but he did used to do a great bit that. Uh, bit that spoke to latino homophobia because you know here he was in his 40s and never got married and his old dad with his own dad would be like he's so gay you know because, <laughs> because yeah. he didn't get married you know and uh, you know what mario might be reforming his act but if he takes that one out i'm gonna be pissed because that's, that's such a great joke it's a great joke and everybody goes yep that would be our dad that would be our grandpa so that's it's such a rabbit <laughs> So, uh, it's so relatable. It's relatable because it's the same thing. It's just like, Mijo, do you have a girlfriend? It's like, I'm six years old. What what, what are you talking <laughs> about? Do I have a girl? It's like, oh, when I was your age, I had, I had two families and five kids. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but back in the day, one peso was one dollar, too. So, OK, it was a little different yeah. back in the day. But um, oh. don't call me on that. I don't think it was. I mean, I, I remember when it used to be like ten or a thousand pesos for one dollar. I remember that in the 80s and I'm just like, yeah, I mean, even now, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, I went to Mexico to go visit uh, my um, 
some in-laws, my some of my wife's family, and they're looking at me. They're these little kids in the street of Mexicali. They're like, oh, we're so sorry about your president. It's like, what about your president? You guys can't even drink water out of the faucet. You guys have to go get bottled water, all due respect. But it's just like you're talking smack about our country. And it's just like every single country has corruption and anywhere where there's money, there's corruption. And so I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's just like, I guess that wasn't leading a point as much as I was just having a conversation, but like, yeah, no, I mean, like I, I, I had the honor of opening uh, about five, six months ago for Vincente Fox uh, doing a show. I <laughs> That's show awesome. Before, I performed for, you know, this guy's a former president of Mexico. And during his table talk with this intimate group of people, he said, I don't have security because I ran a clean campaign and a clean administration. Bro, I drove my car back to the hotel. He got dropped off at the hotel with his wife and he walked in. No secret service, no police. And I went, the dude's got a point to be a leader of a country and not be worried like, oh, I screwed over these people. I'm going to get shot. Um, I wish my dad, uh, you, you're lucky my dad isn't here. Oh, I called so my my dad has predicted every single mexican presidency my in my whole entire lifetime he's predicted a- accurately and it has to do with a lot of the narco democracy that's going on in latin america specifically in mexico and who's taking over and who has control and who has power because my dad uh he had not anymore but used to have a uh, subscription to like this blood and gore magazine called mira or it was called something or, or alarma or it was something like that and it was like since it was in black and white except for the blood the blood was red but everything else was in black and white and so you know sometimes you're going to go look for your dad's secret stash of like you know naughty magazines and, you know you're looking for for boobies and then you find this you're like oh my god what's this Oh, my God. Why is he dead on the floor? So I don't know. It's just like I grew up like that, you know, so that's why maybe I'm desensitized to a lot of the, like what's going on with the cartels. But like um, some might argue that Vicente Fox is um, one of the biggest cocaine traffickers in modern history. <laughs> so I don't know. Wow. I, I don't know what I would have done in that situation. That's why I'm not giving that situation. Wow. That opportunity so it was in Bakersfield, right? Who <laughs> <laughs> has oil fields. And so I'm giving the address to this private event yeah. and I'm driving by oil fields. It's like a two lane road. And I'll, I told my wife, I said, this is a hit. They're going to kill this dude. And <laughs> <laughs> it's around this path and down. And when we went there, it was like a little oasis. It was so pretty. Uh, it was like palm trees and running water with grass. Everything else around there was like, you could bury a body. But uh, it was a really nice, intimate event, and I hope he was legitimately the man he came across to be because uh, it was a, it was a really cool. I mean, I never thought I'd perform for a president of a country and his wife. Hey, you know? uh, let's just put it like this: you know, I, I Clinton was a good president, but then all those mysterious suicides came up. Oh man, Vince Foster shot himself three times. Yeah, I know what a tragedy. Uh, but at any rate, yeah, I didn't know we were going to talk about conspiracy theory, but let's do it. It's Victor and Gax in Conspiracy Theories on Poppycock Podcast. Oh, man. I, right. I, 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 was, I was friends, friends with, when I was, I'm a 20-year Air Force veteran, and I was friends with the former flight attendant for Air Force One Ooh. during the Clinton administration. 
So how many times did he go on Air Force One to the Lolita Island or what was it? Jeffrey Epstein's Island? I'm just kidding. OK, don't answer that. I want you to live. I don't want to die. He wouldn't take uh, the Air Force One because that one's tracked wherever it goes. But (laughs) Hillary, if Bill looked at any of the flight attendants, Hillary would cuss him out in front of the whole staff. You know, uh, so she had Larry stories. Yeah, the Secret Service took it as punishment the days they had to guard Hillary. So, yeah, they were like, you got assigned to Hillary. You had pissed somebody off. <laughs> oh, my God. That's 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 wild, dude. That's so wild because it's just yeah. like, you know, I, it's just people. Oh, my God. It's just like knowing the backstories to the backstories of the backstories. You're just like, how am I privy to this information again? Oh, yeah. Comedy. And it's so oh, bad. <laughs> Like my, one of my favorite, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going on 40 uh, for the 18th year. <laughs> one of my favorite, <laughs> Seriously? One of my, Seriously? Uh, what? Okay, I don't want to do the math out loud. Years old. You're uh, close to the six bomb, the 60 bomb? Bro, it, it would hit me the other day that I'm four months away from 59, but then it hit me. That means I'm 16 months away from 60. Uh, so... You look um, incredible, man. Well, that's why I, we were, so this 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 taping was delayed 15, 20 minutes because I had to. Uh, <laughs> I said you did you did Tommy Chung last week. You don't want to have Cheech on here this week. Like wow. Geez. So that's a. Uh, I don't deny I color up. Ladies can't judge because if you didn't dye your hair, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so one of my. Fa- stories from the late 80s was the the infamous Michael Jordan flu game where he had the flu yeah and uh he would he would make a shot and then like he would have to get escorted to the sideline Scotty Pippen's escorting him off you know like during timeouts because he's exhausted it's a great American sports story but I'm friends with a, a former Chicago Bull and they went, yeah. And I, I'm not a big fan of the King. I don't like people that celebrate that appoint themselves titles. So I'm not a big LeBron fan. So we're having this discussion and I'm in the back of my mind, holy crap, I'm talking to a guy who's in the hall of fame and we're sitting here having a great time. And I asked him what he thought of LeBron. And he's like, he's on the Mount Rushmore of any era. And I was like, wow, but he doesn't have Michael's heart. And the guy goes, yeah. And I said, you know, like, like the, like the, the flu game. And then he blew my world apart. He goes, yeah, I call it the hangover game. Ha! I was just about to say that, but not from alcohol, not from alcohol, from something else, something very <laughs> mysterious and um, powdery. Can we yeah, say? Yeah. Well, uh, so, you know, so the backstory sometimes can mess your view of the world up. Hey, you know? hey, that was supposedly a bad pizza. Supposedly. I didn't know the pizza came through with I mean, I know pizza deliveries when you order soda it comes with straws, but not like that. You and know, so uh, <laughs> I almost got you to crack. <laughs> Sorry, brother. But no, no, we're throwing people under the bus and throw them under the bus. No, dude. It, gets, it, you know, it, it takes one to know yeah. one. I know one. <laughs> uh, in this in this world where, where you know, comedy, bro, I I mean, you, you interviewed like one of the biggest stars of the 70s and 80s. And then he came back and said, let's do it again. And you interviewed him twice. <laughs> Doing it. Different questions, different stuff. It was just yeah. crazy. And then I've been trying to get you like even longer than I was trying to get him. And how did I get him before you? And like, no, I'll do respect. I'm just saying because like I was just like, dude, 
I am like literally so blessed to have the level of talent on my shows and like on my podcast. And so like to have you on here and you, you give me credit. Uh, yeah. Bless you. And so for you to give me credit about like getting Tommy on here, that was surreal. Having you on your, this whole experience is surreal. I mean, because I look I, at the list of, of talent that you've had and I'm like, man, Vic is stepping down a notch to get me because you have- <laughs> get the <laughs> heck out of here. No, I mean, oh, get that. You know, this is this is the, the true comedian, you know, breaking the fourth wall, coming out like, hey, no, no, we are our biggest, worst, our biggest critics are ourselves, especially when you care about stand up, when you care about entertainment, when you care about just everything as a whole. It's just like, wait a minute, me? But but that's how I'm thinking with everybody that I'm interviewing. You know what I mean? Everybody. I'm like, oh, cool. They're giving me the time of their day to find out questions about the entertainment industry. And that really makes me feel more whole because it helps me out with my experience, with my journey, because yep. um, I don't I didn't know that for the record. I didn't know that Tommy Chong wrote all of the Cheech and Chong movies. And then when. Cheech got his chance to make it big and be independent. He didn't even write Tommy Chong apart. And that's yeah. how that's how shady this business is. It's yeah. so sh it's like, dude, and I, I told him on air, I was like, dude, like if you made me a star and I started directing anything, let you write your own part. If you want to bang 20 chicks in my movie, you do it because you're writing that part in you write whatever you want. You made me a star. Now it's your time to shine. Thank you. You know, and I and I was like, you know, I'm supposed to be like, you know, <laughs> non-biased. Bro, um, <laughs> as, as a guy approaching 60 and Tommy's way older than me, one, not 20, one. And then he'd be like, carrot. And it's weak. <laughs> 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 dude i just i did the whole the whole thing is just like and then he's giving me advice about like how to make a stoner comedy movie too and i just made a stoner comedy movie which i don't know it, it's so messed up because like i moved to la to be a stand-up and now i'm a podcaster slash writer and so i'm like it's and, and then according to professional writers who do this all the time i'm a hack because i only write stand i only write comedy all of my scripts are comedy or have some element of comedy in it. But if you ask any writer, you know what the hardest genre to write is? Comedy. comedy. So it's just like, so I'm a hack for only doing the hardest thing out there. Okay. But you, I mean. But you got an advantage. Now, this is totally stereotyping uh, because there are some hilarious comics, um, no, matter, no matter of ethnicity. But I remember years ago when I was headlining the local clubs, one of the local veteran comics who happens to be white, he was like, bro, how do you do that? And he was talking about riffing, you know, and I, I, I spent half my set that night doing some hilarious audience work. Yeah. And I was like, bro, if, if you grow up in a Latino or black family and you have a large family entertainment, especially when I was growing up, you, you didn't have, we didn't have 400 channels on TV. You know, we had five channels. And then when my dad being a pastor, there was we could watch three of them. It was that type of thing. But we would spend hours clowning on each other. <laughs> but you had to get thick skin and be really quick. You've got the best of both because you know you're super intelligent. You're, I mean, you're a school teacher and you're hilarious, and you grew up in a Latino family. So um, you've got you got a really good mix and you could do it with the mic and you could do it on the piece of paper in a script.
Yeah, man. It's it's scary because like the the majority of my life have been labeled as not even average to men's words a little bit, but like I've been called the R word. Wow. To, by uh, by my ninth grade teacher, Mrs. Nancy, Mrs. Nancy Cathcart. I said it with a lisp because she also has a lisp. Imagine teaching Shakespeare with a lisp. That that was <laughs> that was my teacher right there that called me the R word. Like, how could you call me an R word when you have a speech impediment? I don't I've get never- it. <laughs> you know, it's a uh, uh, rich. <laughs> she she said I lacked richness and in intelligence with the R word, but it's just like for for the record though I'm just gonna say it. Back in the day when you were in English, but you weren't in special English, but you needed help with English, they would call it remedial English. But to try to make it less embarrassing, they would call it R English. That's what they would call the teachers would call it. But guess what the students would call it? The students would call it retard English. And so guess what Victor was in in fifth grade? Retard English. So Victor and all the other retarded kids would get to go to retard English, remedial English. And so, and I, I refused to do any of the work because I remember the notebooks from second grade that they were trying to give me fifth grade. And I was like, I already did this in second grade. Ask Mrs. Rolf. She still has them. Like I did all this work. I'm not doing it again. Like I'm not, I refuse to do any work. We could go talk to the, the principal guidance counselor. I'm not yes. doing this work again. And the people question me why I'm not fluent in Spanish, but it's because of that. My mom didn't want us to deal with that. So can people don't understand that as liberal as California is uh, seven, in 70s and 80s and 90s, still, if you spoke Spanish, it was your first language, you were automatically put into remedial classes, no matter how smart you were. You know, so I got kicked it, out. I got kicked out of the gifted and talented education, the gate program. I was in there because my dad. I have a brother that's two years older than me. So when he was in third grade learning multiplication, my dad was like, okay, we're, we're getting you two together right now because I'm not doing this in two years again. I'm doing this right now. So in first grade, I knew multiplication tables because my dad used to like flick our ears super hard if we didn't do it super fast. If we didn't like seven times four, 28. Like it was one of those type of things. But in Spanish, because English is the language of the dogs, according to him. And so... I te- like I would do my multiplication tests like super quick to the point where they're just like, oh, you're cheating. We're going to have a teacher watching you. Didn't even do it in my head. Boom. Done. Oh, cool. We're going to put you in the gate program because I'm gifted and talented. And then my reading skills were subpar. So they're like, we're kicking you out of gate. We're putting you in remedial English. So it was just crazy the way that people, you know, being told for forever that, hey, you're not talented. You have you're, you're not smart. Like, you know, like but but I grew up Mexican. Thank God, because growing up Mexican, I'm like, I'll show them. I'll show them. I'll show them. All right. Keep saying that. Keep saying it. Say I'm not good enough because then I'll show you I'm good enough. And so I just wish that, you know, like my ninth grade teacher that called me the R word. Actually, she said I read out loud like i'm retarded that was her exact quote she said that to me and and, and i could have i could have punched her in the face as a ninth grader and ruined her career i would have gone to juvenile hall for that but i would have ruined her career and then she was like she graduated as the head of the literature uh department at a university i could have ruined her whole fucking career you should you should interview her to talk about her and then ask (laughs) do you remember when you said I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dennis. I only interview people with with talent. 
I don't, I, I don't, I, and that's a thing that I, I discovered through my journey uh, as a writer right now. There, and it also bleeds in to stand up comedy, it bleeds into podcasting, it bleeds into everything. Are you a creator or are you a destroyer? Because there's nice. two, sorry? Nice. Oh, okay. I just like- uh, said neither one. I was like, oh shit, what are you then? <laughs> no, because it's just like, because even like, you know, my mentors, like, you or any of my mentors I look up to, like, are you really shooting down this idea or are you trying to get me to explore to be greater? Because the thing is, like, if you say this is not a good idea, this is dumb, you're wasting your time, you're a destroyer. But if you're a creator, you're going to be like, okay, well, what other ways can you present this or execute this to get a broader reach so more people could, 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 have this be a relatable instance in their life and so like for me like i really i I discovered i am a creator i don't want to be a destroyer i don't want to crap on anyone's dream i don't want to do anything like that because people try really hard and you don't know what people are going through you don't know if this is an escape you don't know if this is their passion project you don't know what anyone's going through so when people are being artists i don't crap on anybody's process is there like when you're writing stories or when you're writing jokes or bits or anything, do you have like a political message going in there or is it just, or, or what, what, what is your point when you deliver material on stage for your audience? Bottom line, is it funny? I re- I used to do a joke cause my, my son, number three, he's, you know, he's half Mexican, half black. So mm-hmm. I would do this whole routine about teacher kids to ask questions. And I, and I, I named him in the bit. I named him Shaka Cholo. I gave him a name. To represent. <laughs> so I, I tell this story of Shaka Cholo in kindergarten. I, well, I say he's in school asking questions and he's asking all these deep questions. You know, how come our money says in God we trust, but we have pictures of slave owners and tyrants on it. And uh <laughs> <laughs> Then finally, the teacher is like, after he's done all these questions, how come we can't have our own money like a Jesse Jackson five to keep hope alive? A Cesar Chavez food stamp. Our people plant the food and pick the food. Put us on the money used to buy the food. Well, it, it's it's about getting a big laugh because the teacher cuts him off like Shaka. This is kindergarten. Learn your colors. And then uh, <laughs> and again, she's like, yes, Shaka. He goes, speak of the colors. Why is the street black, but we got to follow the white lines? And, you know, <laughs> um, well, after this one show, this lady came up to it, uh, this hippie-ish looking white lady. And she's like, with tears in her eyes, like, I just realized that we have slave owners on our money. And I'm like, well, if you don't want it, give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. A grown woman did yeah. not know that there were slave owners on and, American and- currency. I'm not for cancel culture, but (laughs) was never a good person. Not in any, you can't be a revisionist, but back then during slavery and during, well, it was uh, taking, you know, taking the land from the Indians, anybody that goes, let's give them these blankets with smallpox because they don't have any resistance to European diseases and wipe them out. I mean that no, there's no time in history where that was, that was acceptable, you know? Yeah. been evil from day one but he's on our money you know uh i have a lot of his money (laughs) i have a lot of his pictures i should say oh my god yeah it's i just didn't 
Wow, that is so deep. But I could see that possibly being super polarizing. I don't know. If people want to yeah. get offended, they'll find a reason to be offended. You could be well, like, it's like the time I heard next, I thought we finally had a civil rights leader. I was like, finally. <laughs> oh my and God. The border landed on us. <laughs> oh my God. What a disappointment. But um, yeah. <laughs> um I had a question though, because okay. I, I, this is because we all cope differently. Uh, sometimes when you're on the road. By the way, we're doing a podcast, but this is also called a Victor and Dennis phone call. <laughs> we talk okay. 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 we talk story. You know, we just- <laughs> for the record, there's a lot less crying on my end on this podcast <laughs> than there is on the kicks. Okay, all right. So um <clears throat> but uh <laughs> speaking about sadness, um how do you keep morale when you're sad and you got to do a show or if you're like super stressed out, you got to do a show. Like, what do you, is there any like hints or advice to give to entertainers who have to go out when they don't want to go out? Um, that's when, like I said earlier about time to be an entertainer and time to be an artist. Uh, I literally in a comedy competition um, in Sacramento, and I was probably like around year five, year six, and I'm in the finals. This was the night, like the, I guess it was the semifinals. So if you won, if you qualified, you got to go to the finals and not be at the punchline, but be at a theater, which was a huge deal for, a, you know, someone with four or five years of experience. Literally, as they're introducing me, my friend goes, hey, and he mentions my girlfriend at the time and says, I heard she's cheating. And I look at him like, what? Dennis Gaxiola. And I went out there and I made the finals. Literally, as I'm heading to the stage, I'm told my girlfriend is cheating on me. And I killed it. I didn't, as soon as they said I made the finals, I put a foot on the stage, walked off right to my car. And um, then I went outside and I was like, holy crap, we're going to, I mean, I'm, the world is being pulled out from under me. Um, you're, there's times to be an artist where you, uh, a comedian, you know, entertainer where you shut it down. And then there's times to be an artist where you could be vulnerable and shoot, I've cried on stage in a stand-up show. So, uh, you know, just getting into like relationships and how jacked up they are when they end, you know, but, um, yeah, I've had some, I mean, a week after my mom died, I had to go on stage. This was like Saturday night and her funeral was Monday and I oh needed my God get the money there's no you know and th- when you're doing this full time there's no well i'm gonna call in six saturday you know and I'll, I'll use a comp day saturday uh no we are starting artists and if we don't perform we don't get paid so um bob smiley a very funny clean comedian um he had to go after me and i and i walked off stage going i dedicate this show to my mom uh, rest in peace mom <laughs> and i didn't even think about the guy that had to follow me because i was stupid of me oh my god but, yeah, he's coming on. As he's coming on stage. Did you just dedicate this to your mom? And I was like, because he knew what happened. So, uh, um, I don't, I don't mean to laugh. That's not funny. It's hilarious as a comedian because yeah. it's just like, yeah. Imagine following that. Like, you give the performance, you give a great performance, dedicated to your mom. It's just like, dude, I'm still going up next. Yeah. Uh, this, this is this is the only to me. It's obviously I'm biased, but it's the hardest performing art because um, we don't we don't get to read notes unless it's an open mic and we're practicing. But when it's a legit show, 
uh, a paid gig, it all has to be right here. And then when you got a bunch of traffic flying through your head, she's cheating, mom's dead, whatever's going on. Oh, my God. I mean, I did a TV show and the whole idea was about it was a Christian show and it was about uh, laughing in pain. Same similar to what your question was. So as the show starting, the, the host of the show is like, so we're going to talk about this. And yeah, Dennis, your mother died last year. And that yes. So here was my introduction on a live TV show. Dennis, your mom just died. Make us laugh. OK, that's too much. That that's asking a lot. It, <laughs> that's it was horrible and I was furious and I, I got some laughs, but I struggled because I mean, you just asked me to bring up the most painful moment of my life and then make people laugh. No, through that season, we're going to make it through and we're going to find the, the, uh, the pain. I mean, we're going to find the, the laughter, but not go, Hey, let's pick the scab. Don't bleed. Make us laugh. You know? So uh, oh my god yeah that's traumatic that's like super traumatic because it's yeah that's that's a personal life changing event yeah that can really have negative impacts on your mental and physical health if you don't take care of yourself or if you do irreversible damage to yourself to cope and it's just like hey for your entertainment purposes here's somebody that just lost somebody they love now make us laugh monkey no i'm just kidding i don't know if it was like that but to me it that's was what hey, other than monkey it was similar and it was with the faith flavor you okay know, okay get that part but the guy uh, was hosting the show because his father had passed away and he inherited the show without his father's talent <laughs> oh no oh yeah so it's just like oh well, everyone's here let's just do it the way i think it should be done as opposed to how it should be uh but um yeah, it's that that's really OK. So and I like asking that question because everyone has a different answer. Some people, you know, and, and it's just I really love how I mean, you could talk about something as as personal and as devastating and as tragic as losing a parent and then having to go on stage. As a matter of fact, I think that talking about my own experience with you is what brought us close together, because the first time I met Dennis, which I failed to mentioned at the beginning of the podcast oh great transition though, now. great yeah, transition yeah. and so yeah. it's just like uh, i just wanted to say because this is a true story like you know um i was doing a fat guy show with a bunch of fat guys but then dennis got asked to headline i'm like he's not really fat but whatever he's a pro so i wasn't <laughs> upset i was just more like oh cool i gotta work with a pro this is a tommy t's in pleasanton california northern california and um i don't know why but like when i, I was in the i was in the green room with dennis uh, by myself with him. And I don't know why I just, I just, I just felt really comfortable with him. And yes, Dennis asked me the question, Hey, so why'd you get into stand up? And without even hesitating, I'm like, I'm a recovering heroin addict. And I thought I was going to die when I got off of heroin. And so I started doing stand up before I died and I never died. So I kept doing stand up. And then Dennis revealed to me, um, some personal histories about his own father with his struggle with 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 heroin. And it was just like we connected and it was like because as soon as the words escaped out of my mouth, I'm a recovering drug addict. I was like, oh, no, why did I say that? Why did I say that? And then you comforted me and you told me that, hey, that's really great. And this is my experience. And so I don't know, like when you talk about certain things, sometimes it alienates people who are listening so 
I don't know. I felt like that was the right time to talk about my personal experience, which is very personal to me. And even though like my family, like, Hey, don't talk about that. But it's just like, you know, if my experience could help out somebody else avoid all of the bad things that I went through, that I would rather talk about it than not talk about it. And so would you say that um, <clears throat> being 100% transparent is the way to go or at what point, because that was a really vulnerable moment for me to tell you about yeah. my history without it, because you could have been like, Oh, you're a drug addict loser. Get the hell away from me. I don't want you in my life. I don't, and then, but you did the exact opposite. You're like, Oh, this guy needs love. This guy um, needs care. This guy needs, uh, you know, so that really meant a lot to me because like at the time I really need, I didn't know I needed that type of care, positive affirmations, all that good stuff. And it, like you, it was just like all in one swoop. It was like, so how, how important is it to be honest? Transparency connects you to your audience. Um, years ago doing the Apollo, I don't know why I'm saying this, but years ago doing the Apollo in New York, a comedian that went taped the night before, he came out and it was like they had Gabriel Iglesias, uh, what's his name, uh, the white guy that hosted Comic View, uh, Gary Owen, guy, I love Gary. It was Gabriel, Gary, myself, um, Manuel, uh, Manny Maldonado, another non-African American comic. I don't know why they put us all on that same weekend. And <laughs> one, uh, he's very funny. Manny, Manny's got a lot of energy. He's very funny. If you've ever seen Manny Maldonado, well, he came out on stage with his arms like "What's up?" And when he did that, never let him say one word. They booed him off stage. Oh my they, god! They to the audience, and this is in Harlem. They thought he was trying to act black and word one they booed him off stage he came back the next night taped again and did very well but the first <laughs> one gave him zero love because they didn't think he was being authentic so authenticity uh and being you know being authentic being transparent uh the, the audience you, you connect with people and in that moment with you when you told me that yeah, I wanted you to know you were safe around me. I have I I have friends of every walk of life, and when I do I do uh, what's called prison ministry. I mean, I go into prisons and I make I help the inmates laugh a little bit, but I always go in with the purpose to tell them about my father because my father became a Christian in prison, and uh, he cried out to God, "If you're real, change me." And he was instantly delivered from addiction. No no twelve step, no withdrawals, just gone. And it was like a supernatural thing. And my dad spent the last 40 years of his life telling people about that. So, I mean, he's been dead going on 20 years now. But when I go into prisons, I keep his story alive. And I tell other addicts, hey, you got a friend here. Uh, whether it's, uh, you know, heroin or whatever, alcohol, whatever it is. Uh, you know, you got a friend here. But with you, it was legit. If you weren't funny, bro, I would have given you a needle. But you funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried, man. I tried. You know, it's just it was yeah, hard. Here's a, it was, <laughs> it's hard. Here's a, here's a rusty needle. You know, but... <laughs> <laughs> just just in case you don't die from the heroin, at least you'll get an, uh, an infection and die from sepsis. But yeah, um, you know, no, it's, no. <laughs> like world, it's like if if you're funny, that that's the acceptance. No, and it's like when somebody's not funny and they're trying to do what we do. You know, it's like I have Raiders jerseys. I go to Raiders games, but I never think I should get in the game. I, you know what I mean? But there's a lot of people in doing open mics 
get a jersey and sit. <gasps> oh, buy some popcorn. Let the comment. It's called a sense of humor for a reason. You know, it's a sense. And some people have no sense. They're up there telling these dry stories that aren't funny. And then they wonder why. And then they, then, then, and those, and the bitter ones, because they, that old idiom that takes uh, 10 years to make an overnight sensation. And it yeah. takes 10 years to make a bitter comic. You know, it's oh. so- <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it in less than 10 years, Gags. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the problem with those kind of people is that I've always said this. I don't know if somebody said it before me, but I've said this for the last 20 years. Comedians hear the silence. Jokers hear the laughter. Ooh, that's freaking deep. I okay. didn't I didn't even know you that. Hear, I've told you that before, Vic. I said, Vic. I know. I, it's prophetic. You hear the silence. Vic hears the silence. He could have a 30-minute set. 25 of it was great. And four or five minutes of working on a new bit or stumbling on a bit. That bit is what kills Vic driving home. Absolutely. I can go up and do the same thing. And I had a friend, Rick Sullivan, reached out to me. Uh, he was a scout for BET. And he got me my first TV appearance. But many years ago, Rick called me up before cell phones because he saw me upset after a show one night and say it was a 15 minute set and I did 14 good minutes. But he saw me after the show kicking my own butt because one joke didn't work. He said, people like you kill yourself. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, start enjoying your success. All right. You're doing great. Stop and stop beating yourself up over the one joke that doesn't work. But you're perfectionist, though. You want to have 100, 100% of the time. Well, us, as comics, we're on a tightrope. Instant acceptance, instant rejection. That's yeah. what, what drives us. You know, uh, and most comics, while we have relationship problems and uh, uh, having trouble with in feeling uh, um, love and acceptance and fear of big time, fear of rejection, that same fear of reject your rejection makes you a good comic. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's about getting too comfortable. I don't want to say any names or anything, because first of all, you wouldn't know who I'm talking about. Second of all, they have, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people get too caught up with that. And I, I just don't understand like with acceptance. Like, for example, like if there's like a new comedy show that's happening and now it's been going on for two plus years and it's just like people are like, I'm you could say I'm a regular at this show. But you can't say I got passed at this non-comedy club. I'm sorry. But people I've I've seen people brag about it. Like I got passed at blank. And I'm like, oh, you mean that basement bar show? You don't you don't get passed at a basement bar show. That's like my tons of fun comedy show I used to run at Tommy T's. Like if you're on it, you don't get passed at Victor's tons of fun comedy show. You just happen to be on it. You know, that's it. End of story. So you're not past the Tommy T's. You're not if past you my eyes. You're just doing a set. If you passed out at a buffet, you qualify for the tons <laughs> of fun comedy show. Oh, my God. Yeah, back, I know. Back, back in the day, um, I was already featuring for the punchline in Sacramento. Same booker, same franchise. I was afraid of the San Francisco punchline because I held such a high you know, esteem for the club. And when I finally, finally worked there, I had never done the Sunday night showcase, mm -hmm. but I was featuring like for Jamie Foxx or something like that. Um, and 
the oh, comics man. that were like begging for five minutes at the showcase um, were like, how is he featuring? And then after that, you know, I got, I did, I did the Jeff Wills. He called it a, a favor. I, I looked at it as an opportunity. Um, I opened for, for Jamie Foxx was headlining. No, Jamie was featuring this. Is how long ago it was Jamie was the feature. Mark Curry was the headliner and they oh, were performing wow. Reno. And he goes, if you uh, do me a favor, open for them. You get a suite at the Hilton um, but it's, it, that's, it's the Grand Sierra Resort now, but it was called the Hilton back then. The, the, it was uh, the Reno Hilton. You get a suite, you get stage time, you get some meal vouchers, but you get no pay. And I was like, let me call you right back. And the other comics were like, no, don't do that. That's ridiculous. It's the Reno Hilton. But I called back and I went, yeah, I'll do it. So he immediately said, all right, here's a week in Sacramento. Here's a week in San Francisco. So I skipped the line at the showcase and some people were pissed. But back then, there was no, you pass. It's like, you know, you put your time in and um, you, you do the showcases and they see, they're supposed to see if you're funny to be able to open at the punchline. Yeah. It's not if you can, I've heard nightmare stories of how it's run now, um, not from you, but from other people. And it's like, wait a minute, that's not the intent of the Sunday showcase. You know, I used to volunteer to host after a week of headlining and they would go like, why do you want to host? You just headlined. I'm like, well, because it's a, a different skill set. I want to be able to still have my MC skills. Um, That's yeah. smart of you. That's super smart of you because like a lot of people, I'm too good to host. I'm above hosting. It's like, it's just, it's a different skill set to host. And, you know, I just, I just uh, sent you my uh, most recent video from uh, the punchline. So you could, uh, Oh, cool. Nice. So, so I'm you looking could, at my phone <laughs> looking at my phone. I'm like, where'd my phone go? <laughs> You're on it, baby. No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> no, I just I just sent you uh, my my most recent clip. Uh, nice. so, so, yeah, just tell me how horrible it is. No, I'm just kidding. I thought actually it was pretty good. It was just like one of my only few clips I have in HD. So I love, nice. you know, stand up. I love I actually got to open for you when you were doing um, when you were headlining at the punchline, that was that was fun too. That was that was actually really fun. That was actually one of the funnest shows I've ever done there. And so, it's um, an only difference I remember. It, so, uh, Vic called me up one night upset, or it was like during <laughs> the, called me upset because he was like, "Man, I, you know, I realized that was the the night where we did that show where I did the first time about having the lump in my chest." Um, and Vic was like, "Man, I worked my butt off." And you went right up and took it to another level. And all that could pop in my head was, at the time, I had 28 years of experience. And I was like, Vic, how many years have you been doing stand-up? I think you said seven. Yeah. I said, that's the only difference. 21 years of more experience. So to the young comics out there, um, your stage is your school. I don't believe in comedy schools. For true comics, your school is the, excuse me, is the stage. And you cannot learn that sitting in a class, paying some guy $75. You can learn the basics if you've never done stand-up. You can learn the art of writing the joke. Uh, Robert G. Lee has a great course out there. Um, there's other comics. Dave, I saw David Arnold advertising for his new class. So if you've never done it, take one of those classes. So you can learn the fundamentals. But after that, you learn stand-up comedy on the grind, man. Except. Yeah. Rejection. And the rejection gives you thicker skin. You know, that's all it does. 
Well, I mean, the rejection is what's caused me to like have so many sleepless nights and think about and re, re, recalibrate what I'm doing, reassess what I'm doing, um, and then, you know, <clears throat> execute the way I want to do it later because it's just like nobody discovered their voice during the first five years of stand up. And if they did, well, maybe they did. So certain people move at different speeds. And so I, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, if I, there's, there's a, there's some truth to that, but it's also, it's also a, a, a whole bucket of after, after you've learned that you can get comfortable on stage. I saw a video. I used to brag on that. My appearance on uh, the Apollo, cause I didn't get booed off and I got a partial standing ovation. Uh, but a friend sent me the video that's on a, one of these streaming channels, bro, here's your appearance at the Apollo. So here it is 20, 21, 20 years later. <laughs> oh, I got halfway through my own set and turned it off. I could not watch it. Oh my God. At the time, I wasn't like on the amateur hour. I was a paid guest for Showtime at the Apollo when Steve Harvey was the host. Today, I'm not that guy from 21 years ago. And I've added 21 years of experience. So um, what I got criticized for as a kid on stage, because I'm a monologist, I stand still and talk. Yeah. Um, I got criticized that, dude, move around, show some energy. All these years later, it's like, you are so comfortable. I'm like, yep, I'm the same guy. Mm -hmm. But my material is that it's coming from a guy who's, went through 21 more years of life has a different perspective. So you learn the art and you, and you find out how comfortable you can be at seven years. But if you're still the same comic you were after 21 years that you were at year seven. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, that's exactly, I mean, but also I wasn't mad at you. I was mad at myself. I was just oh, yeah. like, dude, I, I got off stage and I was just like, I was like, I killed it. And then like three minutes into your set, I'm like, okay, okay. He's already done better than me in these three minutes. And I did the last 15 or 20 minutes or however long I did. And so it wasn't like I was jealous or envious. It was just more like, oh, it's wake up time, Victor. You need to do better for, you know, um, whatever I needed to do. So, uh, and, and it doesn't even matter. I've kicked myself in the butt after having a really good set at the San Jose improv and everybody's coming up to me, telling me how great I did. And I felt like, I was like, oh, okay, well, this is the one time that I got to perform in front of the general manager and I didn't do 10 out of 10, 100% great. You know, I did like maybe like 85 and like for everybody that was excellent. But for me, that was like, I missed 15 points. I missed, or, you know, out of a 10, I missed, I missed 1.5 points. And that's really crucial. And so. I, I, I don't say, you know, I don't BS. I, I, when you, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to look back and you know, hopefully you'll remember. Yeah. Gax told me I would get here because, um, you know, the, what your passion for comedy. And when you add that with, uh, you know, with the, with the years of life and the years of stage time, you know, I, I remember when I auditioned for my first San Francisco international comedy competition. Um, what, what, what's, where's Joey Coco Diaz ranked on podcasts. It's like top 10 nationwide worldwide. Joey uh -huh. Coco. It's, yeah, possibly. I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, no, Joey had at one point was all the way. He was like in the top 10 with his podcast. Yeah. Like, Joey, Joey um, didn't get accepted for the international comedy competition. They rejected him that night. 
all these years later, his style, uh, he did a hilarious joke and he said, I'm going to do this joke. They're going to reject me, but I'm doing this one for you, Poppy. <laughs> he does this joke. It's, it's hilarious, but it was against the rules and he didn't compromise. He did Joey Coco Diaz. And all these years later, you know, Joey doesn't do uh, he doesn't do comedy competitions. He's freaking Joey Coco Diaz. He has a you know, he he has a what do you call it? A residency in New York. And, you know, um, he's Joey Coco Diaz. So all all that difference between this and, you know, 25 years ago was 25 years of experience. Yeah, but I mean, it's just like different opportunities that different people, different artists have at different areas during their, their 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 journey is what differentiates what you really want to do. Because like early on, Joey knew that he wanted to be a dirty comic, and in being a dirty comic, you can't do corporate gigs, you can't do Christian gigs, you can't do clean gigs, you can't do gigs for kids, that you can't do television or prime time at least. You have to be cable, cable, cable if you get the opportunity to do it. So you have to stand out amongst even the dirty comics. So I mean, no matter what road you take, you know, like they people even say taking the clean roads the easiest. No, it's not. No, any road with stand-up is not easy. Whether you take the dirty road or the clean road, you still have to come up with material that's relatable, that people want to listen to again, that people want to come back and see you say that story or joke again and other stuff, and they want to know more about you because that's the whole point of creating a fan base. So is there, is there any advice on creating a fan? Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, I have, I have one joke that on three different platforms, it's the same joke, from the same special and the counts are different, but it was over a hundred million views on this one joke. That joke's done. I can't do that joke when I perform anymore. So be careful what you ask for, you know? Uh, and they- <laughs> <laughs> so when people say clean comedy is easy, um, you go into a church so not only do you have to be clean, you have to be church clean, and you also need to get through the zealots that have their filters on, you know, and they're sitting, they're trying to nail you to another cross. You know, um, I, I, man, I so appreciate churches where the pastors love to laugh and have their people laugh. Because I've literally have, I've been in events where I'm like, why did you guys even book me? <laughs> oh, like. I, you know, they're, they're hurting my feelings because they're not laughing because they're afraid to laugh. Oh, you know? no. Because they've got their buckets of, uh, you know, of a red dye to throw on you and put scarlet letters on you because um, you don't fit their bill as what Jesus is to them. So, um, yeah. Oh, my like, God. And then if you say the wrong thing at a corporate gig, nothing to do with religion, but a corporate gig, if you cross the line, you can actually cost the CEO his job. Are the HR manager their job? I didn't know that. That's oh, that. Yeah. That is insider stuff. Okay. Wow. A, a general's military career came to an end because a comedian who he had nothing to do. The the general's not looking at videos booking a comic. You know, one of the admin troops is helping set up the banquet. And there was a banquet up in Colorado and a comedian crossed the line doing a joke about a congressman. I'll never forget. It was, there was a congressman named Pat Schroeder. Yeah, and the comedian did a joke about Pat Schroeder 
a couple of days later, that general was at, who was at that place. And the joke got a big laugh. But the general that was attending, he was told to put his retirement paperwork in. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that, but, that's but, that's that's oh my oh even with clean comedy, so military. Clean. Oh my god! How I, I do I'm doing four Air Force joke uh, four Air Force shows this week. I fly out tomorrow to Texas to do shows for the Air Force for four different bases. And uh, shoot, <laughs> the last the last leg of the tour, I had a guy tell me that I had made fun of the president. And I was like, no, I didn't. He made fun of himself, you know, and uh, <laughs> this administration, I did not address the president. I was talking about the food crisis and I did some joke about that. And it's like, well, you know, this and he quoted a regulation that I violated this regulation because you are not allowed to make fun of a sitting president. And I'm like, man, this is not Cuba. This is not Russia. This is not communist China. Uh, and but. Yeah, clean comedy is not what people think it is because the standard is so much higher and they still want to laugh. But I you mean, gotta... I, I never thought it was easy. Some people, I, I was just quoting what people oh, said. Yeah, that, yeah. That, no, that's the easy route. I don't think it's easy because I've tried to write 15 minutes of, of comedy and clean and that's all I have is 15. That's it. You're like, hey, Victor, do 25. <laughs> Last 10 is going to be dirty, dude. I can't do it. <laughs> Bro, when I first started doing clean comedy, I got booked for a Safeway in the South Bay, a uh, Safeway Christmas party. And the owner of the store would not shut up. Oh, my Him goodness. And his no, 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 no. Associates and the general manager were up front. And I'm booked as a clean comic. Bro, I snapped on stage. Yeah, and I... <laughs> owner of Safeway out and I and he was smaller than me I'm five seven he's smaller than me and he had a higher pitched voice than me so I called him an overgrown jockey would you shut the blankety blank up and <laughs> none, of, none of the employees wanted to laugh because they <laughs> um, but yeah they never had me back I'm shocked <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh, that just reminds me of uh the first uh actual college gig i did was with opening for you and um i was hosting chris thorne was featuring dennis gaxiola was of course headlining oh hayward state <laughs> hayward state or uh california state hey. university east bay, east bay. formerly hayward state university yeah. any rate but what we were at that campus and two minutes before the show, I mean, because I asked you, I was like, hey, Gax, hey, do I got to be clean for this? He's like, no, bro, it's for the Latino Heritage Union. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then Gax is like, I don't talk like that. I'm like, all right, whatever. But anyway, um, Gax, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Gax, it's cool if I'm dirty, right? You're like, yeah, bro, do your thing. I'm like, okay, cool. So then um, two minutes before the show, the the the, the, the coordinator for, for the show comes up to all of us and says, okay, listen. The first half of the show needs to be clean. And then the second half of the show, you know, it could be a little bit dark, a little bit more blue, but we need the first. I'm like, wait a minute. The second half is all gags. He ain't going to curse. Wait a minute. Hold up a second. Hold up. So I had to say something. I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How clean do you mean by clean? They're like PG-13. And I was like, okay, PG-13 gets one F word. Do I get one F word? She's like, okay, yeah, you, you could, you get one F word. 
So, of course, since we're performing for the Chicano Association, Latino, it was for a benefit for the for the scholarship fund. And I opened up saying, I was like, hey, I was just informed that I'm only allowed to use the F word once. So I said F Trump and I got like the hugest like reaction ever. I was like, oh, this is going to be money. And then uh, it was not that money afterwards um, for me, <laughs> at least. And then it was just like, I forgot. Like, I think you said, damn, I think that was your curse word that you used. And I was like, OK, dude, you didn't, OK, fine, fine. That's that's fine. I'm not a clean comic. But it was like like right before I was on stage, it was just like, you know, instead of saying I'm fat as F, I said I'm fat as all hell. And I'm not used to saying it like that. I'm just saying I'm fat as, you know, F word. And it's, so it's just like it was a little it was a learning experience for me. And it was like a really, really awesome experience that. And um, uh, you you hooked me up with um, with uh, John Fox with the Crow's Nest. I still work there when I go up to the Bay and I want to, you know, just <laughs> um, have a really, really, really. Um, I don't know. Like I, I I've had a ref- I've had to perform last minute at the crow's nest in Santa Cruz on Easter Sunday. Wow. And uh, let's just say there was at least four families there who are never going to a comedy show again. Wow. So now the crow's nest, those of you that don't know about the crow's nest, <laughs> it's, more than one comic has referred to it as combat comedy. And during the school year when uh, Santa Cruz, uh, the students go out to drink they go to the crow's nest and so i'm there it's my first time headlining the crow's nest doug stanhope was hanging out and these guys would not shut up and doug's just hanging out with his friends so they heckle the opener they heckle the feature 10 minutes into my act they're heckling me and i'm ripping them but they wouldn't shut up so stanhope gets up says excuse me dennis takes the mic and if it had been anybody else i would have been insulted but it's doug freaking stanhope yeah and he goes excuse me this is a very funny man people stood in line much like people standing light to blankety blank your sister but he said the word <laughs> <laughs> shut up and listen to him and the place <gasps> went crazy. Those guys shut up, and I was able to survive my first time headlining the Crow's Nest. That had to be like 20, 20 years plus ago, like 23, 24 years ago. Okay, I was going to say, definitely wasn't the time I was there. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. And that's, yeah, I wouldn't even call it, uh, what did you call it, combat comedy? I would call it cutthroat comedy. Cut through. I don't even have a neck, and that's cutthroat comedy. I get it's, to live vicariously. I can imagine it's long. It's a long, narrow room, and towards <laughs> the back, there's a bar. Um, and so there's noise, and the people in the back can barely hear you. So if it's packed the way it used to be pre-pandemic, um, it's a long, loud room. So you oh, have yeah. to, you can't just be mellow and do your set. You've got to scream your jokes to the back, and then you get people heckling. So it's a it's a brutal room, and John Fox, I would say, I mean, he's a comedy legend as far as bookers go. If there was a Hall of Fame for local promoters, he would be in there. But he is notorious notorious for calling the day of the show. Hey, uh, can you go to the Crow's Nest tonight? 
that's what happened on Easter Sunday for me, dude. And it was just like, whoa. I was like, oh, man, thank God Gax got me in there. Then I show up and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> like, seriously, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. I just forgot everything about stand up. And I'm like, oh, I don't even think they want to be here. There's a cover. Everyone pays a cover to be there. And it still feels like they don't want to be there. Yeah. And so I'm just like, and I'm like, oh, no, it's just me. I'm the opener. They don't care. Then there's a feature. They do the same thing. They don't care. Then it's the headliner, the big cheese. They still don't care. And I'm just all like, what? And so it's changed a little bit because now, because I've been there a little bit recently, like maybe like uh, two months ago. And um, it, now it feels like it's the rich, retired, getting drunk on a Sunday afternoon crowd that goes in to hangs out with their friend at the crow's nest. And then, Oh, there's a comedy show at eight or I'm sorry at 9 PM. And it's like, that show starts so late on a Sunday. It's like people like already, they're already tired from day drinking. So what do they do to, 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 to uh, get more energy? They drink more and then they talk over the show. And I'm not mad at, I love that show because it really gets a test your conviction to your jokes. Are you really a comedian or are you a joke teller or what are you? Because the crow's nest will, will tell you. All I know is my first time there when I was with you, I was like, oh, cool. This is the last time I'm working with Gax because I just bombed <laughs> hard, not just kind of hard, just very embarrassingly, super, super, super hard. But like, uh, let me ask you a question. I'll answer this question after you. But what is the best piece of advice you've gotten about stand up comedy? Be funny. Be funny. Uh, okay. Um, so, uh, it's and uh, because I've there's been many times, and I've never really said this, uh, but I've been thinking about this lately. I'm a man without an island, because to like hardcore Chicanos, I'm not Mexican enough. Um, I think over half of my TV credits have been on black TV shows. Uh, you know, now I'm with clean comedy. Uh, but even there's events where like, uh, oh, yeah, we're going to do this big uh, Christian festival and we're doing a Latino stage over in the corner. I'm like, wait a minute. No, I just so I've, <laughs> I've often been without an island. So but my manager has always said the same thing to me. Funny is funny. So um, to the. You know, that that that's the best advice I ever got that would let would, would have me lean on my material. Don't worry about the audience. Are you funny? You know, and all these years later, um, there have been nights where I've, you know, go up right before Paul Rodriguez on the Latin Kings tour and follow comics that, uh, you know, aren't clean. Um, like Joey Medina is hilarious. He's on the original Latin Kings. And, you know, I went up after him and in front of, you know, a huge crowd and rock it. You know, I'll, I get my 10 to 15 minutes and rip it. So funny is that it taught me to trust my material. Well, I mean, I, I also like going back to like, just, I don't know, like I really that I've always respected you, but like I extra respected you because not just me, but like other dirty comics you let open for you. Whereas I would say like 99% of clean comics, you're like, nope, I only want to roll with clean comics. And you're like that 1% or that 0.1% of like, no, nope, it's cool. Whatever. It's comedy as long as it's funny. And so I think that's that's a great piece of advice of being always being funny. Just be funny. And it's just uh, it's it's a lot harder to do. <laughs> but I mean, also, yeah, you have to believe in your material. But like, I think the best piece of advice I got to um, to to go with that is 
pretend every time that you're on stage, treat it. I'm sorry. Treat every time that you're on stage like an audition. Because you don't know who's in the crowd. Somebody might want you for a bachelor party. Somebody might want you for um, something, anything other than just a traditional stand up comedy show. And as a matter of fact, next year, I'm officiating my first wedding because I made some fans over Zoom who come to my regular shows in real life and uh, they bought my merch. They like and they want me to marry them. And so I think that's hilarious because, you know, from just telling jokes. Awesome. On Zoom, which like people are like, oh, Zoom isn't real comedy. I'm like, well, the fans are the money is I don't know what it's not real in the sense of traditional stand up comedy. But, you know, you have a microphone. You have, it's harder. I think it's harder yeah. to do Zoom comedy than it is to do uh, stand up. I mean, they're both really hard. I'm not like denigrating regular stand up comedy, but like you have to be extra confident with your jokes when you're doing it on Zoom, I think. You get, you'll get like a corporate gig on Zoom and the audience is doing this. Oh, my hands are tight. <laughs> and everything's muted. And, you're, you're, and the whole time your ego is getting ripped up because you're not hearing the laughter. So, I mean, Zoom comedy, if you make them rock on Zoom comedy, man, you're killing it, you know, as yeah. far as I I mean, Zoom comedy is hard, man. I mean, it's just like one of those things where it's just like you could do it or you can't do it. Or it's just like you have like different. I don't know. Like the, the thing is, like, I saw a bunch of like people that just riff and they do crowd work struggle because it's like, hey, let's look at the audience. You in the pink shirt. It's just like nobody's looking at them. You're highlighted. You just, you know, they're not talking, so they're not going to be highlighted. But at any rate, no, that's a, you know, for. Um, the, the, the other most important thing uh, for a young comic is to write. Yeah. Some guys think watching comedy is the keys you can learn. No, I don't like watching stand up comedy because then I'm worried like later on. Oh, shoot. Did I think of this or was that, you know, planning in my. Uh, subconscious because I watch someone else's special. So you got to write and write and write and rewrite. And then, um, you know, you become a wordsmith. Um, but because if you're not writing, I, I actually got criticized by friends when I was first doing stand up because all I did was talk about comedy. Well, all these years later, they're still working day jobs and I tell jokes. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's also too like the people that are fast to criticize are often the, the ones that never take a chance yeah. or, or at least go out as far on a limb as you're going to do to put yourself in a vulnerable place where you're, you're either going to fly or you're going to die. And that's it. And so yep. I don't, I don't know anyone who started stand-up comedy to be like, yeah, I want to be in the middle. I want to be a middle. I just want to, I just want a middle. That's all I want to do. Everybody wants to be a headliner, everyone. But I mean, I, it sucks though because right now I'm in LA. So sometimes I'll go to open mics and then I'll hear delusional stuff like this in front of an open mic. Man, when I'm famous, man, when I'm famous, man, when I'm famous, I'm like, why don't you work on just your three minutes? Because, <laughs> you know, like I don't, I don't mean to be a jerk or anything, but I mean, like my, my three minutes, like I'm working because like I, I'm so spoiled from the Bay. I'm so spoiled. Like, oh yeah, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. You know, and then over here, it's like three minutes, six to seven minutes. Maybe if you're headlining 12 minutes and I'm like, that's not headlining. That's going last. And it's just like, I don't even care about like if I go last or if I have no ego associated with that. It's just more like how much time am I getting? Like tonight I have a gig that I'm driving like almost an hour to get to. 
So I'm hoping the dude isn't all like, oh, well, you're doing five minutes when he just saw me do 15 while there was a Charger game going on at the same time, no less. And so, like, I'm literally competing against a Charger game with Charger fans who are cheering the premises of my jokes when they're not really cheering the premises of my joke, they're cheering their team on. And so it's it's that is combat comedy. Those moments though are like thickening the skin. You're finding out, are you funny? Can you get people to, to look away from their football game, to look at you and laugh? Um, um, it's, I mean, it's that, that, that's true comedy. You know what? When I started off comedy, you still smoked inside. People were still smoking inside. And your open mics would be this dark room with people smoking and drinking. And you had to go up there and make them laugh. Oh, God. No, Yeah, so it's... Man, I could talk comedy all day long, man. But, oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, let me ask you one more question. And then um, I'll ask you one last question after that. Um, what's it called? Um, what advice do you have for dirty comedians who are trying to transition into cleaner material? Um, so I wasn't always a clean comic. And then when I dedicated my life to Christ, I was like, okay, comedy's gone. But then I was like, then I was like, oh no, okay, I could do it. Uh, a comedian named Gilbert Esquivel encouraged me. He was like, dude, you know, trust your calendar to God. And it, so I had 15 minutes of material. So I went from headlining clubs for a week at a time to now I got 15 minutes of material, that material that I felt comfortable doing. Um, uh, right. If, 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 if you're a clean comic, you, know, you want to transition to clean, right. And then I used, even when I was doing nothing but clubs, I would test material. And if the profan- if the joke did not work without profanity, I would throw it out. If I could not get it to work without profanity. And then I had nights where it was a spicier crowd and I would cuss to make the joke a little spicier. But then there was nights where I could do it cleaner. So you know, it's, it's a process, you know, unless you, cause I tell a lot of the, like I, I went to the Christian comedy retreat and it's all clean comics. Uh, and a lot of them were really corny. <laughs> well, I yeah. can say the same thing about dirty comedians, but yeah. no, it's just, yeah. I mean, given the right circumstance that that is the outcome, but, yeah. um, but any, and any genre you got to write and you got to keep writing and find the funny in life. You know, those three stories I do, if uh, if you go on YouTube, you'll see my new dry bar special called a uh, Bible school dropout as clips of it up right now and on social media. But uh, the three stories that I ended up in the hospital for or seen the doctor for um, they're true stories. And of course, there's the exaggerated humor that I pieced together to make it a, a funny five minute chunk of material. But you find the funny in life here at a point where I was mortified that I potentially could have breast cancer as a man, bad enough for a woman, but the humiliation for a man, you know, uh, so you got the dub to me and that's probably stereotyping, but uh, I probably don't fit today's, uh, what do you call it? Uh, pronouns and everything, but a woman, it's bad enough fearing you have cancer, yeah. but now what are the guys going to say? You know, there's no macho in, I have breast cancer, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> finding the humor in in that is a it's it's that that's what it's all about so you've life is funny find the humor in it whether you're doing edgy comedy or clean comedy it's it's a lot of comedy and then on on the on big events 
you know, um, those jokes write themselves. Put your twist on it. You know, I'm big uh, historic. Like when uh, the, the infamous Lorena Bobbitt story where she cut off her husband's mm-hmm. jump. Yeah. I remember Carlos Mencia checking me and he's like, bro, your, your, your Bobbitt joke is real close to mine. And my reply was, you didn't write yours and I didn't mind write mine. Lorena Bobbitt wrote these jokes. We just interpreted them. We interpret that was our take on that fight, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean that that was definitely a hot topic to talk about. I mean, yeah, like I remember when um current I mean, event. Current, current, I, current I mean <laughs> I remember doing the talent show in 1998 in my middle school, and I was doing Titanic jokes and NSYNC jokes and Backstreet Boys jokes. And you know, looking back at those notes, I'm just like, that's embarrassing. I can't believe I won first place. You know, I can't believe I won first place. I've been I've been called the Hispanic Titanic since 1997. And so, like, that's my website now. And I didn't make that up. My friend Mark Delamajaro made that up. May he rest in peace. But uh, before we uh, before I let you go um, after this awesome interview, I just wanted to know where can the people at home find you? Um, if you have Amazon Prime, I have two specials on Amazon Prime um, before the wall goes up, which is the dry bar special. So you can see before the wall goes up and that one has over 150 million views on social media. So it's on Facebook, it's on um, YouTube and it's on the dry bar app. Um, And then the second special on prime is uh, identity check and it's a faith-based special. So it's half comedy and half about my story, finding my identity in Christ. And uh, so I still don't like religious people. I I just happen to love (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> and some you know church folks get it uh at least i go to a real cool church you know uh but zealots don't like that you know but yeah so that one's called identity check and i think it's really cool but then then my third special out right now is a uh, bible school dropout because i never finished my bible school degree because as they're preparing people to get their degree uh <laughs> their purpose in uh, ministry i was doing it so there'd be times where i couldn't go to school because i was you know, going to a prison or doing something to help people. And it's like, okay, uh, one day I'll finish it, but I'm living out my purpose now, uh, making people laugh and encouraging them, encouraging people. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, you know, they should give you an honorary Bible school degree, at least, you know, for all the work that you've done, they should, at least how uh, they give honorary degrees at universities. You should get an honorary Bible school degree at the very least. I'm going to write a couple of schools and say, look, man, <laughs> i have <laughs> have you seen my special have you seen my have you seen my 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 my, my christ-based special well here we go i think um somebody is deserving of an honorary bible yeah. school degree. but I, like, my my whole thing and people try to give me titles and what man the guy i'm following me had no titles yeah wow i never looked at it like that um no. you're and right the pe- and the people with titles nailed him to a cross wow okay yeah that that is um something most christians won't don't like to talk about because you know we're so we're in a we're in a culture now we're in a society now that's so obsessed with with identity and title and just like who you are and and it's just like when you really 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 think about like who's in control and who does what you know it's just like is it really for the greater good or why why do we have to have like a cancel culture like my theory is we have a cancel culture because people that have no power no voice no control for once in their lives are able to take away somebody's livelihood by getting them quote canceled 
And so I don't know, may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking about this too much, but like I'm trying to find ways to. You're right get- on that. You're 100 percent right on that. Oh, the, com- <laughs> the comic that the comic that tried to get Chappelle cancer that started the whole uproar. I um, I don't understand the whole, you know, transgender, trans, all that. I don't understand all of it. You're a human being. I love you. So but when I when I saw. I don't know if he's it's a pro, the appropriate pronoun him or her, mm-hmm. you know. But I think he identifies as a woman now. But he spent his whole set talking about his girlfriend <laughs> to a fifty-eight-year-old heterosexual male. I was so confused. I would, does he identify as a man? Does he identify as a woman? Is he a cross-dresser? Is he transgender? But yet he had his hands around the throat of Chappelle, trying to take him out. You know, I, I some it's it's like false false wokeness. You know, where people just want to be like, oh, yeah, well, they're 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 white knight. And there's somebody that like, you know, campaigning for women's right, LGBT right. When in reality, they're just some scumbag that's trying to get uh, attention for something that they're not really 100 percent behind. And so people do things for f- what's called clout or, you know, what's called uh, awareness or people are like, you know, like, oh, who's this person? What are they doing for society? Oh, they're doing something good. No, they're not. They're just trying to repaint things in a way so they feel important. And so I feel that like that's getting mixed into the artistry. So a lot of artists aren't able to express themselves in a way. And so even like being like, even with your Christian comedy, it's it's even being called into question when you use pronouns even about yourself or talking about your, are you sure your wife identifies as a woman? Pretty sure. Pretty sure. But you know, you're going to let other people, not you personally, but other people. I know what you mean. Yeah. And it's like they people, there's people out there that want you to respect their truth, but they totally will um, try to cancel you because they don't respect your truth. Absolutely. And it's just like, that's, that's the, that's the gray area that is really like people are afraid that this is oh well there's or is it silver <laughs> i mean it's just i don't know if, if if people are scared like oh because everything's getting so politically correct what about comedians it's like well then we got to think uh more creative creatively and we got to just let the juices flow and you know what as comedians we got to take chances there's a chance people are going to try to cancel us so yeah. The day the comics are muzzled is the day we are no longer America. Right. So, you know, we got to do what we got to do to keep the, uh, the muzzling off. Yeah. Stand up. This is the last bastion of free speech. Stand up comedy was the last bastion of free speech. And to see them with the cancel culture going after comedians, whether you joke about a left wing or white right wing comedian um, to have the other half come at you. It's like, man, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not a little bit patriotic. I'm very patriotic. I served this country for 20 years and I believe in free speech. So not hate speech. I believe in free speech. But when they come after us to say we cannot joke about this and we cannot joke about that, man, we're in trouble. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I'm glad that you're doing everything that you can to make sure that that isn't happening by voicing your experience your point of view and say hey it's okay to laugh just be funny you know and you know if you're coming from the heart and you know you're not being malicious then that's that's exactly the point 
You know, it's not about shock value. It's about entertaining people. And yep. so I've learned a lot from this conversation and I really do appreciate your time. I'm going to close with this favorite story. My, my favorite memory of Victor Pacheco. Uh-oh. <laughs> I think as I got this spot, I want to take you to. So we go to um, uh, Thakaria Ramiro and Sons. And they're, they're known for some... To me, the best burritos in the Bay Area. I'll put them against anybody, including La Taqueria in San Francisco, which is ranked nationally as far as the best burritos in America. So I take Vic. and This is during like the beginning of the pandemic. So they got outdoor seating. And we're sitting there. And uh, Vic's eating his burrito. And Vic is very quiet. <laughs> and he's, you know, Vic's a big boy. But he's a beautiful eater. And he... <laughs> <laughs> he artistically devours this burrito and he wipes his mouth with his napkin and makes sure his beard and he's like this is the best burrito in the bay area <laughs> dude I, I i wish i would have known you were looking at me like that eating that burrito because i did not know that i was eating a burrito so beautiful and you were commenting while i was eating the burrito i'm just like hey i'm kind of self-conscious because this is very phallic this burrito and so, you know, for you to say I'm eating it beautifully, I'm just like, hey. No, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying, so much, no, 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 I'm just talking yeah, smack. I'm just you, like, <laughs> so much appreciation for, because they're known for their uh, chilito and, it, you know, they make a green salsa. And oh, yeah, it was great. It was great. And, oh. you, and you, you start telling me about how people always, because you're a big guy, people try to tell you about the best food. They always tell me who has the best burritos. And you are like so passionate about it. Yeah. You know, and he dropped an F-bomb. This is the best effing burrito in the area. Um, there's, there's like three families next to us. It's like, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> just, just you had like you ate that burrito with respect. Dude, that's how you're supposed to eat burritos with respect. You know, like yeah. like somebody like was really sweating over that. And uh, um, dude, that was a great burrito. It was a great atmosphere. Ramiro's <laughs> brothers. Uh, Taqueria. Taqueria Ramiro and Sons on Alameda Street in Alameda. Um, if you're ever wondering what the best burrito is in Northern California, I would put them. Why did Gax just cut out right now? Gax just literally just cut out right now. Okay. Uh, that is not the end that we anticipated, but Gax did cut out right now. Um, but I think Gax was talking about how much that burrito is ranked in his book number one in my book it's it's definitely one of the top 10 burritos i've ever had in my life ever anywhere including mexico southern california uh northern california everywhere but at any rate uh gax froze obviously so uh we want to thank dennis gaxiola for being here i'm going to put the links so check out dennis and come through to his shows, support this man. There we go. I'm back. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> that's no. how you. That's how you know it's a real Mexican podcast. It's taking twenty well, no, minutes we, to goodbye. <laughs> we took so long. We we talked so long, and I've enjoyed the heck out of this two hour interview. That yeah. um, <laughs> my, my phone. I didn't even see it because it's behind the behind the uh, screen. It's my yeah. phone was like. 10%. It had the warning up that it's about oh, to die. Okay, I was just like, oh, and he's busy. Froze like that. But I can and hear so I'm like, you. I'm like, I'm like, and then I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> on the recording, you're on this side. So I need to. Oh, <laughs> so it's just like, uh, anyway, but um, 
Yeah, I was just telling the people at home that uh, I ranked that burrito top 10 of all time anywhere, Northern California, Southern California, Mexico, even of burritos were over there, the gorditas. But at any rate, you know, it was still one of the best burritos ever. And, you know, uh, I just want to uh, say that, yeah, that uh, going out with you to have burritos or, or food of any kind has always been really great. And I really do appreciate all of the advice that you've given me throughout my comedic journey, including today because we got a lot of gems for stand-up. And so uh, I'm going to make sure to link all of the links so people could get in contact with you, watch your stuff. And I was going to say, too, I didn't want to interrupt, Dennis Gaxiola is the only comedian that has gone viral without doing a stupid TikTok dance. I'm just kidding. But um, that was, I was, no, it's funny. It's like, you know him from his viral clips. It's like, whoa, did he do a TikTok dance? Nope, just stand up. Um, <laughs> so that's my man, Dennis Gaxiola, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you guys next time. Appreciate you hey, guys. Love you, Thank love, you. Love you, Poppy. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, do your boy a favor. Tell your friends. Tell your cool family members. Tell your cool co-workers. Let them know about the podcast. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And be sure to follow me on all social media, Puro Papi Pacheco. And check out my website at HispanicTitanic.com for future dates. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Have a great day.